we really need to put the best we have to offer within reach of our children. If we don't do that, we're going to get the generation we deserve. They're going to learn from whatever it is they have around them. And we as now the elite, parents, librarians, professionals, whatever it is, a bunch of our activities are, in fact, in trying to get the best we have to offer within reach of those around us, or as broadly as we can. I'm going to start and end this talk with a couple things that are carved in stone. One is what's on the Boston Public Library. Carved above their door is free to all. It's kind of an inspiring statement, and I'll, I'll go back at uh, the end of this. I'm a librarian. And what I'm trying to do is bring all of the work's knowledge uh, to as many people as want to read it. And the idea of using technology is perfect for us. I think we have the opportunity to one-up the Greeks. It's not easy to one-up the Greeks. Uh, but they, with the industriousness of the Egyptians, they were able to build the Library of Alexandria, the idea of a uh, copy of every book of all the peoples of the world. The problem was... You actually had to go to Alexandria to go to it. On the other hand, if you did, then great things happened. I think we can one-up the Greeks and achieve something. And I'm going to try to argue only one point today, that universal access to all knowledge is within our grasp. So if I'm successful, um, then you'll actually come away thinking, yeah, we could actually achieve the great vision of everything ever published everything that was ever meant for distribution, available to anybody in the world that's ever wanted to have access to it. Yes, there's uh, issues about how money should be distributed, uh, and that's still being refigured out. But I'd say there's plenty of money and there's plenty of demand um, so we can actually uh, achieve that. Um, but I'm going to go over the technological, social, and sort of where, we, where are we as a whole trying to get to that particular vision. And the way I'm going to try to do this is do it like the Amazon.com website. The books, music, video, and, and just go step media type by media type to go and say, all right, how are we doing on this? So if we start with books, um, you know, so where, where are we? Well, first you have to, as an engineer, scope the problem. How big is it? If you wanted to put all of the published works in, uh, online so anybody could have it, uh, it available, well, how big a problem is it? Well, we don't really know, um, but the largest print library in the world is the Library of Congress. It's 26 million volumes, 26 million volumes. It's by far and away the largest uh, print library in the world. And a book, if you had a book, is about a megabyte. So, uh, you know, if you had it in Microsoft Word. So uh, a megabyte, 26 million megabytes is 26 terabytes. Because mega, giga, tera. 26 terabytes. 26 terabytes fits in a computer system that's about this big on spinning, spinning Linux drives. And it costs about $60,000. So for the cost of a house, or around here a garage, um, you, 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 can put, you can have spinning all of the words in the Library of Congress. That's pretty neat. Then the question is, is what do you get if, you know, is it worth trying to get there? Do you actually want it online? Some of the first things that people do is they, they make book readers that allow you to search inside the books, and that's kind of fun, and you can download these things and look around them in, in new and different ways, and you can get at them remotely if you happen to have uh, a laptop. There's starting to be some of these uh, sort of page-turny interfaces that look a whole lot like books in certain ways, and you can search and make little tabs, and it's kind of cute, still very um, book-like on your laptop, but I don't know, reading things on a laptop, whenever I pull out my laptop, it always feels like work. 
I think that's one of the reasons why the Kindle is so great. I, I don't have to feel like I'm at work to read a Kindle. It's starting to be a little bit more specific, uh, specified. But I have to say that there's, uh, uh, there's older technologies that I, I tend to like. Um, I like the physical book. And I think we can go and use our technology to go and digitize things, put them on the net, and then download, print them, and bind them, and end up with books again. And we sort of said, well, how hard is this? And it turns out to not be very hard. We actually went off to make a bookmobile. And a bookmobile the size of a van with a satellite dish, a printer, binder, and cutter, and kids make their own books. It costs about $3 to download, print, and bind a normal old book. And they actually come out kind of nice looking. You can actually get really good looking books uh, for on the order of one penny per page, sort of the parts cost for doing this. So the idea of this technology actually may end up putting books back in people's hands again. There are some other bookmobiles running around. This is Eric Eldred making books at Walden Pond, Thoreau's works. This is just before he got kicked out by the Park Service <laughs> for competing with the bookstore there. Um, in India, they've got another couple bookmobiles running around, and this is the opening day at the Library of Alexandria, the new Library of Alexandria in Egypt. Uh, it was quite popularly uh, attended, and kids starting to make their own books, and a happy kid with the first book that he's ever owned. So the idea of being able to use this technology to end up with paper back in hand sort of sounds a little retro, um, but I think it, it still has its place. And being sort of from the Silicon Valley sort of utopian sort of, you know, uh, sort of world, we thought if we can make this technology work in rural Uganda, we might, have ha we might have something. So we actually got some funding from the World Bank to try it out. And we found in about 30 days we could go and take a couple folks from, from Silicon Valley, fly them to... Uh, Uganda, buy a car, set up an, the first internet connection at the National Library of Uganda, uh, figure out what they wanted, and get a program going making books in rural Uganda. And it actually, so technologically, it, it, it works. What we found out of this is we didn't have the right books. So the books were in the library, we could get it to people if they were digitized, but we didn't know how to try to get them digitized. Everybody thought the answer is send things to uh, India and China. Um, and so we've tried that, and I'll go over that in a moment. There are some newer technologies for delivering that have happened that are actually quite exciting as well. One is a print-on-demand machine that looks like a Rube Goldberg machine. We have one of these things now. It's completely cool. It, it's an it, 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 old conveyor belt, and it makes a book. Um, and it's uh, called the Espresso Book Machine. And about 10 minutes, you, you can press a button and make a book. Something else I'm quite excited about uh, in this particular domain um, beyond these sort of kiosky things where you can get books uh, on demand is uh, some of these new little screens that are coming out. Um, and one of uh, my favorites in this is the $100 laptop. Um, and I, I don't mean to, to, to uh, steal any thunder uh, here, but we've gone and used one of these things to be an ebook reader. Um, so here's one of the beta units. Um, and you can, it actually turns out to be a really good looking ebook reader. 
And we have a quick hack that we did to try to put one of our books on it. And it turns out that 200 dots per inch means that you can put scanned books on them that look really good. At 200 dots per inch, it's kind of the equivalent of a 300 dot per inch laser printer. We're in good enough shape. You actually can go and read scanned books uh, quite easily. So the idea of electronic books is starting uh, to come about. But how do you go about doing all this scanning? So we thought, okay, well, let's try out this send books to India thing. And there's a project with... Um, uh, funded by the National Science Foundation and sent about to scanners, and the American libraries were supposed to send books. <laughs> well, they didn't. Um, they didn't want to send their books, so we bought 100,000 books and sent them to India. Uh, and then we learned why you don't want to send books to India. Um, what I th the lesson we learned out of this is scan your own books. If you really care about books, you're going to scan them better, uh, especially if they're valuable books. If they're new books and you could just, you know, butcher them um, because you could just buy another one. That's not such a big deal in terms of doing high quality scanning. Um, but do things that you love. Um, but the Indians have been scanning a lot of their own books, about 300,000 now, uh, doing very well. The Chinese did over a million uh, and the Egyptians are about 30,000. Um, but we sent, thought, okay, if we're going to need to do this, let's do it in library. How do we go and do this? And how do we get it down so that's a cost point that we could afford? And we sort of pick the price point of 10 cents a page. If it's basically the cost of Xeroxing, to basically digitize, OCR, package it up, make it so that you could download, print, and bind it, the whole shebang, we would have achieved something. So we started out trying to figure out how do we get to 10 cents, and we tried these robot things, and they work pretty well, sort of these auto page turning things. If we can have Mars rovers, <laughs> you'd think you could turn pages. Um, but it actually turns out to be pretty hard to turn pages, and the volume isn't there. So anyway, so we uh, ended up uh, making our own book scanner, um, and uh, with two digital, high-grade professional digital cameras, controlled museum lighting, so even if it's a black and white book, um, you can go and get the proper intonation. So you basically do as a beautiful, respectful job. This is not a fax. This is to, the idea is to do a beautiful job as you're going through uh, these libraries. And we've been able to achieve 10 cents a page if we run things in volume. This is what it looks like at the University of Toronto. And it actually, it turns out to you know, pay a living wage. People seem to love it. Yes, it's a, it's a little boring. Um, but some people kind of get into the zen of it. Um, LAUGHTER uh, and especially if it's kind of interesting books that you care about in languages that you can read, um, we, we actually have been able uh, to do a pretty good job of this, like getting 10 cents a page. So 10 cents a page, 300 pages in your average book, $30 a book. The Library of Congress, if you did the whole darn thing, 26 million books, is about $750 million. Right? But a million books, I think, actually would be a pretty good start, uh, and now it costs $30 million. That's not that big a bill. And what we've been able to do is get into libraries. We've now got uh, eight of these scanning centers in three countries, and libraries are up for having their books scanned. The Getty here is um, moving their books to UCLA, which is where we have one of these scanning centers, and scanning um, their out-of-copyright um, books, which is fabulous. So we're starting to get the institutional responsibility. The thing we're missing is the 10 cents. <laughs> if, if we can get the 10 senses, all the rest of it flows. We've scanned about 200,000 books now. We're scanning about 15,000 books a month, uh, and it's starting to, to gear up another factor of two uh, from there. So all in all, um, that's going very well. And we're starting to move out of just the out-of-copyright into the out-of-print world. 
So I think of, uh, we're kind of going from the out of copyright library stuff and Amazon.com is coming from the imprint uh, world. And I think we'll meet in the middle someplace and have the, the classic thing that you have, which is a publishing system and a library system working in parallel. Um, and so we're, we're starting up a program to do uh, out-of-print works, but loaning them. Exactly what loaning means, not quite sure. But anyway, loaning uh, out-of-print works uh, from the Boston Public Library, the uh, Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, and a few other libraries that are starting to participate in this program to try out this model of where does a library stop and where does the bookstore uh, uh, take over. So uh, all in all, it's possible to do this at large scale. We're also going back over microfilm and getting that uh, online. So we can do 10 cents a page. We're going 15,000 books a month. And we've got about 250,000 books online, counting all the other projects that are starting to add in. So what I wanted to argue is books are within our grasp. The idea of taking on the whole ball of wax is not that big a deal. Yes, it costs um, tens of millions low hundreds of millions, but one-time shot, and we've got basically the history of printed um, uh, literature um, online. And then there's business model issues about how to try to effectively market it and get it, um, get it to people. But it is within our grasp technologically and law-wise, at least for the out-of-print uh, and out-of-copyright, we suggest um, to be able to get the whole darn thing uh, online. Now let's go for audio, and I'm going to go through these. So how much, it, how much is there? Well, as best we can tell, there are about 2 to 3 million discs having been published. So 78s, long-playing records, and, and, uh, and CDs. Or at least that's the largest archives uh, of published materials we've been able to sort of point at. It costs about $10 a piece to go and take a disc uh, and, and put it online if you're doing things in volume. Um, but we found that the rights issues are really quite thorny. This is a fairly heavily litigated area. Um, so we found that there are niches in the music world that aren't served terribly well by the classic commercial publishing system. And we're, we've been starting to make these available by going and offering shelf space on the net. Uh, in the United States, it doesn't cost you to give something away. right? If you give something to a uh, the, the charity or... or um, uh, to the public, you get a pat on the back and a tax donation, except on the net, where you can go broke. If you, if you put up a video of your uh, garage band and it starts getting uh, heavily accessed, um, you can lose your guitars or your house. This doesn't make any sense. So we've offered unlimited storage, unlimited bandwidth, forever, for free to anybody that has something to share that belongs in a library. And we've been getting a lot of takers. One is the rock and rollers. The rock and rollers had a tradition of sharing as long as nobody made any money. You could, it's concert recordings. It's not the commercial recordings, but concert recordings started by the Grateful Dead. And we get about two or three bands a day signing up. Um, they, they give permission. Uh, and, uh, and we get about 40 or 50 concerts a day. We have about 40,000 concerts, everything the Grateful Dead ever did, um, up on the, on the net so that people can uh, see it and listen to this uh, materials. So audio is possible to put up, but the rights issues are really pretty thorny. We've got a lot of collections now, a couple hundred thousand items, and it's growing uh, over time. Moving images. If you think of theatrical releases, there are not that many of them. As best we can tell, there are about 150,000 to 200,000 movies ever that are really meant for large-scale theatrical distribution. It's just not that many. About half of those were Indian. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's doable, but uh, we've only found about 1,000 of these things that to be 
out of copyright, so we've digitized those and made those available. But we found that there's lots of other types of movies that haven't really seen the light of day, archival films. Um, we've found also uh, a lot of political films, a lot of amateur films, all sorts of things that are, are uh, basically needing a, a home, a permanent home. So we've been starting to make these available, and it's grown to be very uh, popular. We're not quite a YouTube. We tend to towards longer-term things and also things that people can reuse and make into new movies, uh, which has been, but just been great fun. Um, television comes quite a bit larger. We started recording 20 channels of television 24 hours a day. D it's sort of the biggest TiVo box you've ever seen. It's about a petabyte so far of of worldwide television, Russian, Chinese, Japanese, Iraqi, Al Jazeera, BBC, CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, 24 hours a day. Uh, we put, only put one week up, which is um, mostly for cost reasons, which is the 9-11, uh, sort of from 9-11-2001 for one week. What did the world see? Were Pal uh, CNN was saying that Palestinians were dancing in the streets. Were they? How, let's look at the Palestinian television and find out. How can we have critical thinking without being able to quote and being able to compare what happened in the past? And television is dreadfully unrecorded and unquotable, uh, except by John Stewart, um, who does a fabulous uh, job. So anyway, television is, I would suggest, uh, within our grasp. So $15 per video hour and also about $100 to $150 per celluloid hour, we're able to go and get materials online very inexpensively and have them up on the net. And we've got now a lot of these materials. So we've got about 100,000 pieces up there. So books, music, video, software, there's only 50,000 titles of it. The mostly the issues there are um, uh, legal issues and breaking copy protections. Um, but we've worked through some of those, but we're, we've still got real problems in Washington. What we're best known is the World Wide Web. Uh, we've been archiving the World Wide Web since 1996. We take a snapshot of every website and all of the pages on it every two months. And actually, it's really been uh, pioneered by Alexa Internet, which donates this collection to the Internet Archive. Uh, and it's been growing along um, for the last 11 years. And it's a fantastic resource. And we made a Wayback Machine that you can then go and see old websites kind of the way they were. If you go and search on uh, something, this is Google.com, the different versions of it that we have. This is what it looks like when it was an alpha release. And this is what it looked like at Stanford. So anyway, you, you get basically an idea of where things came from. Mostly people want to see their old stuff out of this. If there's one thing that we want to learn from the Library of Alexandria version 1, which is uh, it's probably best known for burning, um, is uh, don't just have one copy. So we've started to... Uh, uh, we've made another copy of, of all of this, and we actually put it back in the Library of Alexandria. So this is a picture of the Internet Archive at the Library of Alexandria, and we now have also another copy building up in Amsterdam. So I figured we should put it in the San Andreas Fault Line in San Francisco, uh, flood zone in Amsterdam, and in the Middle East. Right. Um, so anyway, so uh, we're, we're hedging our bets here. Um, uh, if we go and put it in a couple more places, uh, I think we'll be in good uh good shape. There's a political and social question out of this. Is All of this, as we go digital, is it going to be public or private? There are some large companies that have seen this vision that are doing large-scale digitization, but they're locking up the public domain. The question is, is, is that the world that we really want to live in? What's the role of the public versus the private as things go forward? How do we go and have a 
world where we both have libraries and publishing in the future, just as we basically benefited as uh, we were growing up. So universal access to all knowledge, I think it can be one of the greatest achievements of humankind, like the man on the moon or the Gutenberg Bible or the Library of Alexandria. It could be something that we're remembered for, for millennia, for having achieved. And as I said before, I'll end with something that's carved above the door of the Carnegie Library. Carnegie, one of the great capitalists of this country, carved above his legacy, free uh, to the people. Thank you very much.